Hello and welcome to Axlander, a podcast about and for all of you who have left their home to find a new one abroad. Have you ever picnicked on an iceberg in Greenland? Or perhaps starred on a national TV as a child? Or perhaps followed your heart to settle abroad? Axlander is full of exciting stories, as amazing and extraordinary as only our expat lives can be, as authentic as we are with all the ups and downs, all the joys and challenges it brings along. So have a listen to another episode with an amazing guest whenever and wherever you're listening to Axlander and enjoy. So today I'm talking to Wani, who lives in Switzerland, but is originally from Malaysia. Hello, Wani, how are you? Hi, Eva. Good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being and agreeing to be on, on this podcast. It's very interesting and I'm sure that you've got an amazing story to tell. So could you tell us what brought you to Switzerland and how long have you been here? So I came here because of my husband. Um, originally, I'm from Malaysia. I studied in the UK for four years for my undergraduate and postgraduate studies. I had a goal to visit 100 countries before 30. I realized that if I wanted to reach that goal, I had to travel on my own. So after my master's, I found myself traveling for six months. I was in South America for 10 weeks, and that was when I met my husband. Um, he's from Basel. Fast forward, I moved here, we got married, and I've been here for the last 10 years now. Wow, okay. Um, so you didn't meet him in Switzerland, you met him through uh, your travels? or Yes, yeah? so we met in Buenos Aires and we were traveling together till Rio. At first I thought it was just a holiday fling, but then I quickly realized later on, when I continued traveling and he went back to work, so I was in the Middle East. Um, even though I was experiencing really crazy days in Jordan, in Syria, in Lebanon, dealing with, you know, just what traveling in those countries bring... I would still look for internet at the end of every day to write him an email. And then I realized it wasn't just a holiday fling. It was a little bit more than that. Okay. So another love story on Axlander. That's great. We love love stories. <laughs> and essentially, I was supposed to go. So then after that, I found myself in Tunisia. I was supposed to go to Algeria. But everyone that I had met in Tunis, in Tunis were either going to Libya or to Egypt. And no one was going to Algiers. I had four days to figure out how I was going to get to Algiers and back to catch then my next flight out to London and then to Dubai before returning back to Malaysia. So this was towards the end of my six months of traveling. I had a 20 kg backpack. I was really tired. I didn't have much energy left in me to, to get this new country to, to, uh, with Algeria. And my husband said, why don't you come to Switzerland instead? So he got me uh, flight tickets from Jerba in the south. Uh, southern uh, southern island in Tunisia um, and so I took that flight came to flew to Zurich took the train to Basel met his family for four days went back to Malaysia realized that I wasn't going to stay there uh, came back here to try and look for work not realizing that for a non-EU citizen it's almost impossible to find work here okay especially as a graduate so I stayed here for three months um, trying to look for a job again didn't know that it was because of my non-EU citizenship that made it impossible to find a job but I did find a job uh, except that they said you can start after you get after you are married and you have the work permit 
Um, oh, okay. But in between, obviously, I mean, it anyway took forever. Um, I, I think other couples from different countries who are trying mm-hmm. to get married in another country, they'll, they'll realize how much bureaucracy is involved. And there's a whole other story on its own. Um, it took forever to get the documents and paperwork dealing with Malaysian authorities. Um, that was a, that's a whole other story. Okay, perhaps we can we can talk about that um, a bit later if you want to, because this is one big challenge, right? Like international marriage and moving to a different country, and perhaps yeah, having difficulties to find a job. I mean, this these are this this is quite hard, right? Terrible, yeah. It was yeah. it was it was rough. Anyway, I could only okay. stay for three months at this time, and then I left. I went to the U.S. to stay with my sister. So I were a family with three siblings. My elder sister, and my younger brother. They're both in the U.S. Um, my parents are the only ones still in Malaysia. We don't see each other much, and that was also another point with this hundred countries before thirty goal. I always had to choose whether to see family or to visit a new country. Okay, but how did you come up with that goal? Like, if I might be that nosy, what what motivated you then? Of course. So in 2007, I was in Estonia over Easter. I was chatting with this Japanese guy who was in the same dorm as I was in the hostel. And he was saying that he was based in London, but every weekend he was studying English um, in London for three months. But every weekend he was traveling to visit a new country. And the way he spoke was just so, I mean, I could tell that he had traveled a lot. So out of nowhere, I asked him, how many countries have you been to? And I had never asked anyone this question before. And he Mm -hmm. said, I've been to 63 countries. And I thought, oh my goodness, I had never met anyone who had been to that many countries. And so you just topped it with like your hundred. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So then I started counting how many countries I had been to then. Um, I was 20. I was 21. I had been to maybe 20, early 20s, 22 countries or so. And then I just said, I'm going to visit 100 countries before 30. At the end of my travels in 2009, when I met my husband, I had been to 67 countries and he was still stuck at, I don't know, he he had not been to 67 countries yet. So he Mm. plateaued by that time and I was like, yes, I beat this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so. But you finished that goal, right? Like you reached that goal. So how many countries have you been to? Have you seen and have you visited? Now 108. Wow. So I visited 100 countries at the age of 28. Um, By then I was pregnant with my first child. I made a deal with my husband that we're not starting a family until after I got my goal. So when the (laughs) goal was in sight, we said, okay, let's try and have kids now. Um, And I'm very happy that even after having kids, we we still continue to travel a lot. So my eldest child is now five years old. At the age of three, he had been to 30 countries in six continents. Wow. Okay. So you've got three, right? Three boys. Three boys. They're five, four, and two. So the eldest has been to six continents. The middle one has been to five continents, maybe 25 countries. And the youngest has been to, I don't know, maybe 18 countries, four continents, something like that. This is great. And you also have like your own uh, website, right? Like Travel Muse Family. This is what you do, right? You blog about blog, yeah. traveling with kids. What motivated you to, to start that? Did you just want to share your experience or perhaps also show other people that even with little children, like it's possible to, to travel? 
Exactly. A combination of the two, definitely. So uh, an ex-work colleague was really the one who pushed me to do that because obviously in the little circles that I run, I am everyone's go-to travel guide. Everyone at work, they would never go anywhere without first consulting me. Wow, that's great. <laughs> I'd be planning people's trips for them all the time and I realized, my goodness, it's like I'm always repeating the same thing again and again. And so I thought, why don't I just put this down in writing? But, but that is a lot of work and what I've shared, things I've written, how I've written has also changed over time. So yeah, but above all, yes, I very much want to inspire other families with small children to keep traveling. Also because we, I mean, in general, the kind of travels that I do, people people probably wouldn't really do it. And then I do it with kids or rather my husband mm -hmm. and I, we still do it with kids. So for instance... When the third baby was two and a half months old, we flew to Toronto, Mexico, Colombia, and Panama. Wow. So this little guy at the age of four months had been to four, five, six, seven countries in three continents. Okay. And is it in any way relaxing? Because I myself just have, you know, my daughter is uh, 10 months old. So <laughs> I'm just trying to picture that and envision how stressful, like, is there an added stress to it? Or is it all okay? Like if you can manage? Absolutely. Uh, very stressful. <laughs> it can be very stressful, but it can also be relaxing. I think my tolerance for stress or, you know, challenges is just maybe a bit higher than the average person. Mm -hmm. So I am not the kind of person who can just stay on an all-inclusive resort for a whole week. I cannot do that. Mm -hmm. At most, I can do that for two days, one night. And if it would be, it would it also involve, you know, diving or, you know, day trips outside, it would have to, it would be a lot of stuff. So just another instance, um, just before the lockdown this year, we were in India um, for two weeks with three kids and we had six internal flights. We visited 10 cities and it was, it was full on. It was go, go, go. But I, I think that was always how I traveled and I don't really want to do it any other way. I think life is short. There's too much to see and do. I mean, in the past, I probably wouldn't even have spent two weeks just in India, but now I do. But in that two weeks, you know, I want to see as much as I can. And even then, you there's still like so much to see. So what do you do? Yeah, as you said, life is too short to not discover the beauties of our of our planet and of other countries i think it all makes sense however you know like this is a huge admiration and huge respect because uh, not everybody could do that but definitely those people who are listening and are thinking about traveling with kids i mean they can turn into your blog i guess uh, just travelmusefamily.com i mean there are lots of inspiring articles and great pictures and your instagram profile is very very nice and recently it's been filled with quite a lot of pictures from switzerland right because the travel restrictions just correct i have a 10-year travel plan that has been massively impacted obviously because of coronavirus between april and july this year so between in in the midst of four months we had to cancel seven trips wow. and I keep having to reschedule my flights to London, for instance. I just changed the flights in November and then I got another another message saying you're coming flights to uh, to London again in January. Uh, you know, are you are you going? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. Can we go? Of course, we probably cannot go because the, if the lockdown stays, then we won't go. But, you know, so we don't just travel to new countries. I mean, in the last 
two and a half years, I have gotten zero new countries, but the kids still have gotten new countries. So now it's all kinds of different goals or, or, mm-hmm. or, or travel statistics that um, I'm trying to keep up with. So my eldest has been to London 10 times, for instance. Um, London is home away from home for me. Mm-hmm. Malaysia is too far. Um, but yeah, so usually we, we go at least twice a year. Wow. Well, let's talk about Malaysia, but shall we? I mean, this is this is the place where you come from. I mean, that's your is that's your home. Is your home in Switzerland or is it elsewhere? Home is Switzerland, but home is also Malaysia. But I also know that I can never live in Malaysia again. Uh, I think I think all the experiences I've had, I think it would make living in Malaysia that much more challenging in terms mm. of maybe I don't know mindset or just. Just how I am used to how things work. I don't think it's possible for me to move back home. I would, but speaking of which, if I may then jump into maybe work. So my background is in recruitment. I was working for a recruitment firm in Zurich for eight years. Mm-hmm. And then I joined a biotech and a VC fund. And my job was impacted uh, during COVID. I had always been working in Zurich. In May this year, I found myself traveling back to work in Erlikon. So that is almost three hours of commute a day. Oh, okay. That's quite a lot. Yeah, a lot of the work that the uh, the two companies were doing was impacted because they had a lot of collaborations with universities worldwide. And because all the labs were shut down, there was less and less to do, which meant less and less for me to do. And I was essentially going to work to pretend to work. I mean, there wasn't really much work to do. And I thought this makes really not much sense anymore. I cannot keep doing this. Um, And so I decided to quit. And I was wondering what would I do next? I had always wanted to work for myself. I always thought about starting my own recruitment firm and I made that jump. I made that big step and um, I'm very happy that I've done that. So I founded my firm two months ago. I've done my first deal. Uh, I've gotten my recruitment licenses. There's so much paperwork involved in just, you know, setting up a firm and getting your license sorted um, and obviously doing business development. And um, this is great. Congratulations. Like, you know, in hard times like this, it, it really takes quite a lot of courage yes. to do that. But it made sense for you, as you said, right? Like, this is what you wanted to do. And perhaps that was the right timing. Perfect timing. So great. I wish I had done it earlier, but I also know I couldn't have done it any earlier because I think to decide to be an entrepreneur really takes mm-hmm. a lot of guts. And mm. it. I also owe to people in particular who are entrepreneurs themselves who really gave me that push and gave me the confidence and I couldn't have done it without a lot of support from other people. That's great. I've made my first deal and last week I went up to Rigi to celebrate all by myself. I was up in the mountains. I jumped into the pool in Rigi but It was something I had always wanted to do. So now I'm looking forward. Every deal that I make, I am going to do a little something to treat myself, whether it's something just in Switzerland or take a quick flight out to a new country, spend a night away or two, and then come back. That's great. This sounds like a great plan. And going up into the mountains, I don't, I don't know about you, but I come from a country that, you know, is rather flat or the region is quite flat where I come from. So I'm still, even after 10 years, I'm like fascinated by Swiss mountains and I absolutely love hiking and skiing. And it's just, if I could, I would move up there, but I can't because... <laughs> 
that would be quite hard because sometimes you cannot even go by car. But this is the beauty of Switzerland, right? Like the, the nature and the lakes and mountains. It's just, it's so great. I was asked recently, what are my favorite countries in the world? And for me, the number one is Switzerland. Um, number two is Malaysia. Number three is Japan. And it's completely biased because those three are very close to my heart. Obviously, Switzerland is now home. Malaysia is where I grew up. And Japan is maybe the fifth country I've spent most time in, maybe. Mm -hmm. I did my master's in modern Japanese studies. Um, I used to speak Japanese a lot better than I do now, but um, Japan is a, a also a very dear place in my heart. But if I may go back to, I was telling you about having a 10-year travel plan and that mm -hmm. was heavily impacted. Um, and so I realized that I had to do something about it. <laughs> and so <laughs> I said, well, we're going to really go hiking this year. So this year, I've been on 30 hikes, some really hardcore ones. I think some of the hikes I've done like 24 kilometers in one day. A lot of solo hikes. The, the, uh, the more arduous, strenuous ones was just by myself. Um, but with the boys, they've done a few, a number of 10 kilometer hikes. So they've done quite well as well. They've done quite a number. And that's another, a whole other story, right? But with the solo hikes that I've done that were quite hardcore on my own, it involved a lot of waking up very early in the morning, catching the train, the first train, which is usually just before six in the morning, getting to the top of some mountain by 10 a.m., hiking, hiking, hiking for six hours or so, and then catching the train back and home for after 7 p.m. So I'm out at least 13 hours in a day. Long, strenuous days, um, but it's what gives me so much joy. It is worth it, right? The view when you're on the top, like it is, it pays off, like to really catch the early train. Okay, well, you relocated from Malaysia, you were traveling the world, and you said that you've got two homes then, and you cannot be really unbiased, right? I mean, you there is a place where you grew up, there is a place where your children are now growing up, so this is always going to be like close to your heart. I mean, you were talking about one of the big challenge, not being able to find work, and exactly for people who are from like the, like the non-EU citizens, it is very, very hard. How did you, I mean, how was your first year, let's say, first year two in Switzerland? Even though you're very open-minded and you've traveled the world, did you sometimes ask yourself whether this was the right choice or did you have those let's say ups and downs from time to time mm, the start was definitely challenging it took me a while to warm up to switzerland i was always comparing switzerland with the uk because before moving here i was in the uk for four years right and um, at some point i think my husband got just a bit sick of me complaining all the time <laughs> and he said stop it look you can continue to to complain and, and be unhappy or you can choose to view things differently yeah, and yeah. I realized that it was really true. Like I was trying to hang on to what was what I thought was great, you know. And honestly, what I mean, well, of course, living in the UK is great. Of course, you know, having people being able to speak the language is great. But at mm -hmm. the same time, this country is so beautiful. It offers endless opportunities. The nature. There are so many experts here as well. Make friends. Go out there. Put yourself out there. Find it's possible. It is possible. Mm -hmm. I cannot yeah. say that I have many Swiss friends myself. I think most of the Swiss people I know are married to an expat. So then through those, you get more of the international community, really. Correct. As well, yeah. 
Because I think it's also, and it's fair to say, and I've been thinking about whether this applies to the Swiss or to other, I think it applies to anyone in general, um, that if you are a local and if you suddenly have somebody who is from outside, you know, you're not really that much interested in this person's story. So I think it really does make sense rather than trying to put an effort and try to befriend a local Swiss, 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 you know, only, then... Yeah, as you said, lots of expats, lots of people who are in international marriages, international couples, through work and so on. It just makes sense. And I think it's also easier because everybody sort of shares similar stories, right? And also, actually, of course, I've met some very interesting Swiss people um, through work who actually have been very influential in the travels I've done as well. Mm -hmm. In general, when I speak to people, I ask them, you know, what do you like to do outside of work? And if they say traveling, I will always dig a little bit more there. And then that was how I met two Swiss guys who had been to Central Asia. So one guy had been to, um, I don't know, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, and the other guy had been to Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, uh, Uzbekistan, uh, I don't know, whichever is then. And it was because of the both of them that I was able to actually plan that trip. Uh, it took me two years, though, to be able to carve out what I wanted to do and to convince my husband uh, and ensure my mother-in-law that I wasn't trying to get her son killed um, <laughs> <laughs> before we actually did that trip. But that's actually uh -huh. one of the trip that trips that I'm most proud of that we've done because it was challenging. It's amazing. I mean, you've got so many amazing stories and one more is about to come. If you don't mind, if I may ask you, I mean, going back to Malaysia, you seem to be a quite known person, right? Like uh, people do get to recognize you. Why, why is that? <laughs> What's the story? I mean, that's an amazing story. Um, so as a child, I was on national TV for four years. Um, <laughs> it was a TV show called Along, prime time, 7.30 p.m. on Saturdays. I was a cook and it was a kids show trying to educate children in mathematics. So that's mm -hmm. that. And, and this was before there was satellite TV and so on. This was back in 1995. Um, so yeah, I think uh, a lot of people knew me, recognized me. I Wherever I went, kids would ask me for my autograph. I get fan mail at school and the principal would call me to her office to say, why are you getting people to send you all this mail here? We're not your, your fan <laughs> club whatever and I'm like I don't even know how they know that I went to I that I go to this school so that's funny yeah but cool so is it still is it still a thing right like still people do get to recognize you like oh that's this that's this girl who was on tv when she was what six years old um kind of yeah sometimes it happens I mean I guess less so but also because I just I'm just never in Malaysia but yeah sometimes when when I do bring it up or it comes up Again, it's got to be, you know, people around my age, probably um, the, the younger generation wouldn't know me, obviously. But yeah, mm. it happens, which is quite funny, really. And what about some of the, let's say, some of the traditions or some of the festivities that are, you know, Malaysia is a, it's a, it's a different country. It's a different setting. It's not like that you would move. I mean, I would be talking to people who'd move from one European country to another. So, yeah, the difference is, is this something that you've always felt or is it for you sort of non-existent that you, you've traveled the world that you don't really recognize it that much? For sure. The biggest difference is... You have to, between people, you have to plan things. There, the, the spontaneity is just not there, I feel, here. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So just for instance, 
suddenly my aunt and uncle would appear at home and then you know someone starts cooking and we're all having a meal together back yeah. in Malaysia that is yeah. so common growing up we just run to our neighbor's home without asking you know uh, we'll mm-hmm. just be playing together but here it's all about you have to schedule play dates you're scheduling it you know a lot in advance the fact that you can even schedule something a few hours before is almost like oh wow you know we're being quite spontaneous but you know <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's a big one for instance like I would never ask my parents can I come over I would just go you know okay but here there's there's that involved like you have to call a few days before to say can we come what are you doing mm-hmm. I think for me that's really the biggest difference but you got used to it, right? Because that's that's the way it is. That's the way it is, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but this is great. Like, listening to your story, basically, you've traveled the world. You've seen so many countries. You have your own blog. You started your own company, basically. Like, you're, you're independent. And it's been just, as you said, just two months. And you've already had this great success. It's amazing. Like, when, when do you sleep? Like, when do you find time to, like, read bedtime stories to your sons? <laughs> that's, that's really a challenge. Um... Now I realize, I see, I understand when pe- when entrepreneurs say that there is no real cut between your personal life and professional life. I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it because you want to succeed. There is no reason to have done this unless because you have so much faith and confidence in yourself. And why would you not be working all the time, you know, if you know that's what you want to do and that's where you want to go? So... On Saturday night, for instance, I was working from 7 p.m. till 1.30 in the morning. And that was just kind of playing catch up. I wasn't even doing a search. I wasn't even looking for candidates. But there was just so much to do. There's constantly so much to do. And right now, I've taken a step back a little bit. And I'm trying to grow the company. I'm trying to hire people. And that's, again, a whole other thing. I'm realizing what the difference is. I've always hired people, right? I've hired people for my clients, for my own employer, for my own team. So for myself, I've hired people for myself in the past. But now hiring people for myself, for myself, it's like, it's different because it's not just about the potential money that I have to pay them that comes out Mm -hmm. from my own pocket, right? But it's also my time. Suddenly I realized how valuable time is it's all about time time is so precious it's something else it's really something else and recently i answered this interview from a guy who has visited every country in the world and he's interviewing big serious travelers so i answered some questions about you know my favorite blah 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 and someone reached out to me um and we and he's from basel as well and he had been, he has been to 109 countries and then he really ignited that passion of travel in me because i haven't been to a new country in two and a half years although i have still been traveling a lot and we've, we've still been doing you know hardcore travels but it's just a bit different because now for me to get a new country is really difficult it's countries that my husband doesn't want to go to what is it? I mean, what what's next on your list then? I mean, what is some of the country that you've that you'd like to go and it needs to go on your list? So West Africa is a big, big dream of mine to go from Mauritania or Senegal all the way to Nigeria. So that's like 10, 11 mm-hmm. countries and Mali, for instance. But time, time, especially time. I mean, what do I do with my kids? I can't just leave them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my husband works as well. And, you know, what do we do about childcare? So that's one big point. And cost, obviously, because the visa for every country costs about, I don't know, $100. So just on visa, mm-hmm. you're paying at least $1,000. But that's the other thing why I said Central Asia was a big challenge for us when we traveled because I needed seven visas 
out of eight countries that we visited. And for six months, we couldn't go anywhere because my passport was always never there. As soon as we got the visa back from one consulate, uh, we had to send it out to the next one, you know. So there's all that to take into account. And when you start traveling to the more less traveled to countries, you're just dealing with different challenges, different things. So, yeah. Does anybody want to go to, yeah, I don't know, Nigeria? Maybe not, but I do. Yeah, yeah. well, uh, I would love to travel all over the place. And uh, I've got to say that with, uh, like, traveling solo, I would have a bit of a respect, you know, from, let's say, certain countries in Africa. I don't know why, you know, maybe it's 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 a complete stereotype, but it's perhaps travel in a couple and perhaps not with kids. But on the other hand, yeah, you don't get to experience it. I mean, you need to experience the country as it is. You cannot idealize it, right? Like, you cannot say oh, I'm going to travel to, mm, let's say, for me, it's like Cuba or, you know, like countries like this. Like, I'm going to travel when Cuba is uh, a democratic country. Well, you can be waiting for like another decade or perhaps two. Yeah, it's very hard, isn't it? And you want to see the reality of it. You just don't want to see the the beautiful Instagram pictures that are filtered, but you want to see how people live and yeah, you want to see the authenticity of that, right? That is why solo traveling is an experience that really people need to have because how you're much more approachable and the solo travels I've done, I mean, the experiences I've had wouldn't have been the same had I not been alone. Yeah, it's so enriching, isn't it? Yeah. You know, there are also so many places around the globe now where, you know, they're not a country, but I want to go back there again and again. So Greenland, for instance. Have you been there? I've been there and that's a whole other story. So that's probably the most amazing place I've ever been to in my life. We flew in a private plane, landed in the middle of nowhere, 40 kilometers away from the closest village. So either you have to take a helicopter um, by snowmobile or by huskies. So we okay. then took a helicopter, but on the way back, we took a two-hour snowmobile ride. Can you imagine? Minus 25. <laughs> I have never, ever really feared for my life as I did there because of frostbite. But mm-hmm. at the same time, the beauty, I mean, you're surrounded by nothing. There is nothingness. The silence is just white as far as your eye can see. You can see the horizon. 360. There is no place like that. And this is also why I really want to go to Antarctica and, and like Churchill in Canada. But with all these places, it's like if you don't have at least $10,000, you can forget doing that trip. And now, obviously, like I can't keep traveling without my kids, right? Like, um, <laughs> So it's a bit a balancing act, really. But it is rewarding then, as you said. I mean, once you are there, like it's a hassle. But like once you've reached that country or that particular place it is it is so rewarding i mean ah greenland i mean we need to schedule another uh, episode where you're going to be talking about greenland because that's amazing it's breathtaking a- amazing place i just saw it from the plane so the issue with greenland is there are not many flights that go there so if right now if you were to just check how much it costs to fly to greenland i don't know it would be something ridiculous like 4000 euros or something from switzerland mm-hmm. if i'm not wrong in 2 or 3 years from now there will they will be building a second or third runway in the northwest, which is where I want to go, a place called Ilulisat, Disco Bay. And this is where you go to see the icebergs. And one of the things that's on my bucket list is to kayak at midnight and have a picnic on an iceberg. <laughs> wow. I mean, that, oh, that sounds great. 
Right? I mean, Midnight Sun, kayaking, and then you have a picnic on an iceberg. So that's one of the things that I want to do. Another thing that I want to do is really to go to Churchill in Canada, and I want to swim or kayak with the beluga whales. Oh, you really have lots of plans. I mean, there is there is so much to see, and it, it to some certain people it would already seem like you've you've seen the world. And no, I mean these are these are things to be explored. The goal is to visit every country in the world, and right now um, it's a bit on hold because of young kids. Because now I'm concentrated on building my own business. I love to make a lot of money and then just be able to say that's it. I'm traveling now. I'm putting aside time for travels. Would you would you say that um, would this define you more that I want to put my money into seeing and experiencing the world? Would you say that that's something that would define you? I think so. I think uh, I I did a big part of my life was traveling, traveling, traveling for a while when I just started working and getting that hundred countries goal, and then I knew I wanted to have kids. So of course, then I took a step back, but still traveling has always you know been a big part of of mm. life with the kids. Um, but the kind of travels I really want to do, the hardcore countries, I haven't done that in a long time. So, so it's building up to get back to that, and I'm really looking forward to it. Well, let's hope that it works for you, and uh, that that the situation gets a bit better. I mean, I haven't traveled anywhere this year, which is also quite unusual. I would always travel like all the time, and uh, I haven't even been to Czechia, which is my home country, and I hope to be going as there is no longer, I think, no longer quarantine rules. So I hope to be going there for Christmas, at least there, you know, just to have some kind of change of scenery and see my family. But um, if you have to know, there are a lot of serious travelers out there they are, who are all, you know, who all have this goal of visiting every country in the world and they keep traveling. Like they are still going to places like Afghanistan and Iran. Even now. Even okay. now. So this guy that I just met recently, he has been to nine new countries this year, despite coronavirus and he is traveling to a new country basically almost every month going forward so people are still wow. traveling there are still ways around it it's just a bit more taxing with you know getting all the covid tests and so on but people are traveling at the moment i mean it looked or for certain for a few months it looked like that you need a test to enter one country then you need a quarantine there and then when coming back you need to quarantine as well so like it was like a month plan for a week visit which was yeah it was uh, i already skipped the visit like twice this years ago oh well you know it's weird there are apparently still many enough countries out there that are not that are not that strict mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. exactly so so yeah the serious travelers uh, keep traveling and uh, hats off to them Okay. Well, then what about Malaysia? Last question. When are you planning to, to go to visit your folks there? No idea. No plans. No idea. No plans. Yeah. Well, let's see. I'd rather go to the US to see my niece and my nephew. All right. Like your family's all over the place as well, right? In the UK, in the US. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, then, um, I think unless you have anything else, that's it, I would say. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for your time, for talking to me. It's uh, absolutely amazing. Um, I mean, anybody who is listening needs to visit travelamusefamily.com. Thank you very much for talking to me about your amazing story and have a great day and lots of success then for uh, your business. Thank you, Eva. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Ani. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.